Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and over the next hour, I will be going through some of the biggest moments in the world of sports and playing some great music along the way. My music theme today is 70s music. I've gone all the way down from 2010s, 2000s, 90s, 80s last week, and this week will be 70s music. So a lot to look forward to on that side. On the sporting side, I'll finally get to talk about NBA and NHL stuff that I've been putting off a little bit just because of all the craziness in soccer going on. But don't worry, there'll still be lots of soccer stuff in weeks to come, including my opening segment, which I'll get to in a second. And NFL Week 8 is in the books. I'm going to go through all the big storylines from the NFL week that was. But of course, I mean, I had to start with the Mount Royal Cougars soccer teams. I've been covering them on my radio show throughout the season. I am, I'm the PA, or I, sh- I should say was, because I guess technically I don't have to do any more work for them this season, because the game this weekend was the last one I got to work for them, and so it was the last game that I got to do the PA announcing for the Mount Royal Cougars soccer teams. So much fun, and the playoff game this weekend was, to sound very British, bloody spectacular. It was an unbelievable game. I have so much to break down in this game, everything from the atmosphere, the game itself, and there was even a red card in the game. Not a red card to a player, but someone did get kicked out. Actually, a couple of people got kicked out. I'll get to that in a minute. But I want to start, though... The team won, number one, which is awesome. The first ever home playoff game in program history. The Mount Royal Cougars men's team won 2-1 against Thompson Rivers University in what was an epic spectacle that displayed everything really cool and really exciting about the sport of soccer. And so I want to give a first a massive shout-out to the fans. The fans who showed up to that game, I mean, just... Absolute round of applause. Standing ovation. They were spectacular in this game. And there was almost 200 people at the game, despite the fact it was minus three, it was cold, it was windy, was not super fun to be outside, but there were so many people who showed up. And they didn't just... See, it's not just about a lot of people came. Because a lot of people can go to something, but it's about how engaged they are. And so, this in this case, they were very engaged. The fans, they brought noisemakers, they brought drums, they were engaged, they were excited, they were into it, they were singing, and someone, whoever did this, by the way, shout out, massive props, I have no idea who did, but somebody brought blue flares to the soccer game, and like set them off, like before the game, after the game, and it made for not only spectacular footage, and pictures, which by the way, if you haven't seen any pictures, please go onto Twitter or Instagram or something like that, just because there are some spectacular photos from this game with the blue flares. And the reason why I get so excited about that is just because this is not something you see every day, especially in Calgary, in North America in general. See, the flares at soccer games is very common, but it's a South American thing traditionally, where you go to a South American game, where you watch a South American game, There are flares everywhere, and despite the fact I don't think you're technically allowed to bring them in, P. 
people always find a way. So you have an atmosphere that felt very South American, which was really cool. And I mean, you do see flares sometimes in Major League Soccer and some of the... You see it in the very odd Premier League game and stuff like that here in Canada, but it's just, it's not a common sight. And so to see that at a university soccer level playoff game was just really cool and unbelievable. And again, massive shout out to all the fans who came out and supported the team because you could feel the atmosphere. It was epic to be a part of and just really cool. So onto the game itself. It was, see, I want to say back and forth, but it really wasn't for large stretches. I think the Cougars carried a lot of the play in this game. And early on, especially, they were really pressing for that opening goal. And Domich got a great chance set up by Anderson Louch. And then, a little bit later, Domich curled one in, hitting the goalpost, hitting the goalie for Thompson Rivers, going into the back of the net. And, I mean, the place erupted for the opening goal. And so MRU had a 1-0 lead, fully deserved, and everything. Also, a massive shout-out to the Cougars defenders. It's hard to name one standout when there was so many spectacular individual efforts on defense. I'm talking everybody defensively just completely shutting out most of the TRU attacks. Just doing a fantastic job. They really did. It was a total group effort. And outside of the goal that they scored, I thought they were really good. Especially TRU with... James Frazier, their leading scorer, out with his infection. The really the really key guy to keep an eye on was Justin Donaldson, who had scored three goals in the previous two matches to help. He basically helped get them into this game because they had to qualify on the final day. And so Justin Donaldson was really quiet in the game. And I give massive credit to the team defense displayed by the Mount Royal Cougars, who happen to have the best defense in the league during the regular season. So it kind of makes sense. But anyway, in the first half, TRU had one shot on goal. Unfortunately, it went in the net. It took an unfortunate deflection, but it was Daniel Sagno who scored for Thompson Rivers to tie it up 1-1, heading into halftime. And again, massive credit to the fans. They did not waver. They didn't flinch. They were just as loud, if not louder, in the second half as they were in the first half. And again, MRU pressed, and eventually they got the game-winning goal. Miguel Darocha took it the ball down the right-hand side, crossed it into the middle, and it was Anderson Louch there to bury it to send MRU into the semifinals. There was also a missed penalty a little later in the game, and that was just because there was a handball in the box, And unfortunately for MRU, the penalty was saved. Big save by Gardner, the goalie for Thompson Rivers. Full credit to him. Guest right was strong and was able to make the diving save to his right-hand side. The Cougars, though, were able to hold on to the 2-1 win. And the scenes on the field after the game were just unreal. And people, like, it was, again, if you haven't seen pictures from this game, please go on Instagram. Please go to Twitter. Just look for them. They are very prominently displayed, and they are so cool. And it's just so, it's so amazing to be a part of, because you could tell 
the university cared. Mount Royal cared about the soccer team. I don't know if I'd ever thought I'd be saying that, but they cared about that soccer team as much as they would the hockey team or the volleyball team or the basketball team. And that was really cool to see. And that's, I think, the biggest takeaway I have from this game. And, of course, I have to touch on the fact that Thompson Rivers University, one of their assistant coaches, got ejected in this game, which was... What's a good word? Ironic? It's a little ironic considering the situation. So I'll, I'll try and set the scene here, try and break it down as much as possible. So basically, this was when Mount Royal already had the lead 2-1 to one, late in the game. If I had to guess, I think 15-ish minutes left in the match. But anyway, so Mount Royal is leading 2-1. to one, And of course, this happens in soccer all the time. But... When you have a team that's winning, they tend to slow the game down, want to, you know, want the clock to run. They're not exactly in a hurry to get things going, right? And you're time wasting. That happens constantly in this sport where you have time wasting by teams that are winning. And it's something that I don't love, but I accept because it goes both ways, right? So if a team is winning, they'll time waste, and if a team is losing, they'll get upset at the team who time wastes. But really, I mean, it kind of evens out because everybody does it. It's nothing nothing out of the ordinary, let's say. So, Thompson Rivers were really upset that Mount Royal was time wasting. And so, Mount Royal got a corner on the right-hand side. And so, Tom Rutten was, you know, running pretty slowly to go get the ball, as teams who tend to have leads do. And so the coach, the head coach, was very upset on the sideline. And the assistant coach was even more upset. And both of them were saying lots of words in a language that I can't repeat on air because I'm not allowed to swear. So let's just say they had a lot of inappropriate language that they were displaying towards Mount Royal, the fourth official, all of that. And so the head coach decides to kick a ball onto the field. For Mount Royal to get, even though Tom Rutten's already, like, you know, halfway to getting the ball. And so he gets the ball and turns around, and now there's two balls in play. And so it actually took more time to remove the second ball that the coach kicked in than it would have if he would have just left it alone. Which I think is ironic, because I've been a coach, and I get it. You get upset about a lot of things, especially in a big game. But if you're hurting your own team by doing something that really was not very smart. It was a very, very, let's just say, it was a very dumb thing to do. It was not smart at all by the coach of Thompson Rivers just because you're hurting your own team by wasting their own time. That's just how it was. And so after this, the assistant coach got so pissed, and it was just constantly going on and swearing and blah, 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 blah. And the fourth official, because the, all the referees, they had headsets, and so they could talk to each other. The fourth official goes to his headset and says, stop the game to the referee. And so the referee stops the game because the fourth official went and kicked out the assistant coach. And it was really kind of funny watching from my perspective, but... I mean, yeah, people lose their heads, and he got kicked out. And rightfully so. I mean, these guys are wasting their own time. They really were. 
And honestly, if I was a coach and I saw and I realized that, oh, no, I'm wasting my own team's time, I better shut up. And that's what I would do in that situation. They did not. They kept yapping. And the fourth official got sick of it. And so here we are in a game that had an ejection, in a game that had a ton of intensity, and in a game ultimately won by the Mount Royal Cougars, which was really cool to see. And so for the first time in program history since becoming a university, Mount Royal is on to the semifinals. And their opponent... Well, let's just say they know each other really well. And it happens to be the university right up the road from Mount Royal. And that's UC. The University of Calgary Dinos will play the Mount Royal Cougars in Vancouver because Canada West, it's a kind of a long explanation. The short version, Canada West is a little weird with how they do their stuff. And so the final four is all played in the same place hosted by the same school, and this year it was it was the Pacific Division's turn to host. And so UBC, courtesy of their 1-0 win against the University of Alberta, they clinched the home field for the Final Four. So UBC hosts the semifinals and the final taking place this weekend. Mount Royal will play the University of Calgary on Saturday at 4 o'clock, local time in Vancouver, which is about 5 o'clock here in Calgary. So it should be really fun because UFC and MRU really hate each other. These two teams played each other twice this season. They split the meetings, but there were a lot of cards in both the games because the head coaches for UFC and for MRU, they really hate each other. They do not like each other, especially like it's... It's a very bad blood rivalry, which is fun to watch, but certainly could... I expect a lot of yellow cards in this semifinal in Vancouver, without a doubt. The two teams, though, like I said, they split their meetings in the regular season. UFC won the second game, which was the final game of the season, and MRU won the opening game of the season at home. They won that game 5-0. UFC won 1-0 in their game. A couple notes, though. Just because I don't think either game is really that telling as far as what might happen on Saturday. And that's just because Mount Royal won the first game of the season on August 24th. We're two months later. And so UFC's team has changed quite a bit. And a lot can happen in two months. So I don't put a ton of stock into Mount Royal's 5-0 win at the beginning of the season. And I also don't put a lot of stock in Calgary's 1-0 win on the final game of the season. Because Calgary pretty much played a full-strength team. In that match. Mount Royal did not. And it's not that Mount Royal played a bad team. They didn't play a bad 11. But it wasn't their best 11. And so you could tell based on who they started in that game. Versus who they started in their playoff game against Thompson Rivers. That they didn't put out their best players. And so. Just speaking personally. I don't think you can put a ton of stock in either result. As far as what might happen on Saturday. I think it's going to be very tightly contested. I think both teams are going to be is going to be a very bad blood game. I think there's going to be a lot of cards and it's in a neutral venue. So who knows? There's really not a home field advantage either way here for UFC or for Mount Royal. What I will say, MRU's been the better team throughout the regular season and if I had to pick a winner, of course I would pick my team. Of course I would pick Mount Royal considering, you know, the bias and I go to the school and I've been able to watch this team a lot, but I really think this team has a good chance 
of potentially going all the way because they have a lot of really good offensive players that if you get the ball to them, they're so good at making plays. Why not type of thing? And then defensively, like I said, they were so compact. Mount Royal, again, best defense in the league in the regular season. I think that will mean something. They also had the most all-star appearances by a school. They had six in total, with Mount Royal having two players on the first team, two players on the second team, and they had three on the all-rookie team, although there was one crossover where Danny Domich was both on the second team and on the rookie team. But Tom Rutten made the rookie team, Miguel de Rocha made the rookie team, and then you had Daniel Harrison making the second team, and the first team, you had Trevor McPhee, and Moel Gondor making that one. As opposed to UFC, Jake Ryszkowski, their goalie, actually made the first all-star team. And so, definitely, he'll be a player, I think, that will be tested a lot, considering Mount Royal tend to dominate a lot of the matches they play. And so, Ryszkowski will be under pressure for sure. On the second team, Dominic Zuszek, their forward, got into the second team. And so... The Dinos definitely have quality, more than enough to win this game, because neither team can take the other lightly. But it should be very exciting. Neutral venue, Dinos, Cougars, Crowchild Classic, semifinals of the Canada West Championship. The winner of that game will play the winner of the UBC versus Saskatchewan game. Saskatchewan won their playoff match versus the University of Victoria Vikes. And so, obviously... UBC, I would imagine, would be the favorite in that game. I've never watched them this season because Mount Royal actually hasn't played UBC, but they're at home. They were first place in the Pacific Division, and so I would expect them to be the favorites. And regardless of who wins, you know, if it is UBC advancing, regardless of who wins between Mount Royal and Calgary, it's going to be a hostile environment in a Canada West final, but certainly one that would be very exciting to watch. Either way, again, the playoff game was epic here, and I was so happy to see Mount Royal University cared about soccer just as much as any other sport, and that was awesome, despite the cold, and I wish the men's soccer team the absolute best of luck in Vancouver. Hopefully, they can bring home, hopefully they can bring home a couple victories alongside that. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got as far as the Mount Royal Cougars playoff game. Huge playoff win at home. So exciting. So awesome to just be a part of it in any way. It was unbelievable. Like I said, at the top of my show, NFL Week 8, I'm going to get to that. have a whole bunch of storylines I have to get to. As well, NHL, I'm having not quite kind of storylines, but it's like my takeaways from the early part of the season. Same thing in the NBA season. So, my first song of the day, like I said, 70s music today. I have Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody. Listen to CMRU.ca by students for you. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. I'm just a poor boy, I need no sympathy, because I'm easy. 
cmru.ca. By students, for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on cmru.ca by students for you. On to my second segment of the day. I know my first one went really long, but it was such a historic game for the fact that Mount Royal won theirs. And so for that reason, I had it as long as I did. But now on to NFL Week 8 storylines. And so next week I'm going to do something really cool where I'm going to be recapping the first half of the season because every team would have played at least eight games. And so I'll do that next week for each individual team. For this week, though, just my four storylines. My first one, the Bears have an offensive crisis. And it's not like, oh, this is fixable. This is panic, 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 panic. Yeah, it is bad right now in Chicago. So the team that had everything going right for them last year with the dominant defense, the improving offense that, you know, wasn't spectacular, but it was good enough and getting better, all that. Yeah, they're bad this year. Real bad. The defense is still good overall, but not great in, you know, clutch situations. And the offense, well, yeah. Wow, that was bad. That was so bad. They lost this weekend against the LA Chargers, who really just have been terrible all season and still weren't very good. Can I just say that? The Chargers still weren't good in this game, but they found a way to win. And that was mostly because Chicago shot themselves in the foot once, and then twice, and then a third time for good measure. I'll explain what I mean. So, the Bears were winning this game late. And I mean, granted, you know, they weren't winning by a lot, but still winning the game in control, driving the ball down the field, and Mitch Trubisky throws an interception. Bad interception. I mean, you know what? Everyone makes mistakes. Whatever happens. Anyway. Chargers take over, and the Bears' defense actually makes a really good stop. And so the Bears get the ball back because of a missed field goal. Look at that. Crisis averted. It's all good. Not really, because on that drive, Trubisky just coughed at the ball. No real reason. There wasn't a a strip sack. It wasn't really a punch. It was No, he kind of just lost the ball and fumbled and was recovered by the Chargers, who went down and scored the touchdown to take the lead. 17-16. 17-16. So, obviously, not great, but still workable. There was still time left on the clock. They could still come back and win this game. And so they drive down the field. And then they get into field goal range, which is great. They're in field goal range. And there's about 40 seconds left. They have one timeout. And Matt Nagy, the head coach of the Bears, decides, you know what? I'm going to kneel. I'm going to take a knee and kick a field goal. And Pinheiro missed wide left. No idea why he decided to take a knee. That, I don't, I really don't know. That coaching decision is just puzzling to me. And his post-game press conference, by the way, this is really bad. I did not like this one bit. But he said that, and I quote, I'm not quoting exactly here, but roughly quoting, there's no way I would have run the ball or passed the ball in that situation. Not an exact quote, but that's pretty much what he said. Really? He wouldn't run the ball. At all. And Nagy's reasoning for this, he went on later in the press conference, but he's like, yeah, so I'm not I'm not going to run the ball because if the other team knows that I'm going to run it, then we're going to lose three yards. 
Yeah, I'm calling uh, baloney on that one because the Bears had almost 150 yards rushing in the game and averaging well over five yards per carry. And to me, what that says is that I didn't trust my quarterback to have the ball, period, and I didn't trust my running back to have the ball, and I didn't trust my offensive line to push them forward a couple yards because that's all the Bears would have needed. Pinero's kick would have gone in from a few yards closer. But he decided, you know what? No, I'm going to take a knee and just not do it. Terrible coaching. Terrible quarterback play. Chicago, I mean, Allen Robinson's playing pretty good for them. David Montgomery had a good game. He hasn't been good this season, but he had a good game against the Chargers. There's not really a lot of saving grace with this Bears team right now offensively. They're bad. And Trubisky, to me, is really close to the point where he's going to get benched and replaced. Not necessarily by Chase Daniel, but by somebody. Because I know Chase Daniel isn't really better, but Trubisky is playing really bad this year. And nobody can bring up the injury thing because I know he has a hurt shoulder, but it's his non-throwing shoulder. His non-throwing shoulder should not affect his throws that much. And he wasn't playing great when he had a good shoulder anyway. I mean, that season over against Green Bay, like, wow, that was bad too. It's, it's dire times right now in Chicago. They're 3-4, and four, so it's not unsalvageable. But that offense looks broken, and I don't know how they fix it right now. Storyline number two, San Francisco and New England flex their muscles. The undefeated teams are still undefeated. These two have been the best teams in the league so far this season, at least as far as record is concerned. I think there's an argument maybe for somebody else in the NFC, but it's undoubtedly New England's been the best team in the league so far, to me, anyway. New England... Easily defeated Cleveland this week. San Francisco just completely obliterated Carolina this week. I mean, it wasn't close. They they basically won the game in the first quarter. It really wasn't close. And so, I guess the real question, when is one of these teams going to lose? San Francisco do have some tough games coming up. New England get a Sunday night match with Baltimore this week, which is going to be so exciting. I'm so looking forward to that. And so, maybe there's losses in there somewhere, but... I would not, uh, sorry, I should rephrase. I would be perfectly okay with this being the Super Bowl, San Francisco, New England, if again my team, the Eagles, can't make it. So, Garoppolo versus Brady, who knows? These two teams are still undefeated, and they certainly don't look like losing anytime soon, even if there could possibly be a loss on the way. Storyline number three the NFL officiating is bad. I know, that's a Captain Obvious statement, and, you know, I get it. You can picture the hotels.com guy but this is just come on NFL like put more time into your officiating put more money and resources into it because Tampa Bay this week got royally screwed over Detroit got screwed over like a couple weeks ago and it's just the officiating's bad and I get it right you're never gonna have proper like 100% good officiating you're never gonna have that that's unrealistic but it hasn't been, the officiating hasn't been this bad. I don't remember the officiating being this bad over the last 10 years, but it's gotten real bad. And I think a lot of it too, the NFL's lost some good referees to broadcasting jobs, which is good for us broadcasters because we have more insight, more expertise 
as far as bringing football coverage, right? If you're NFL, if you're NFL on Fox, if you're NBC or CBS, any of them. And so the NFL's lost some referees to broadcasting jobs, but they gotta they gotta get better refs. They gotta train them better. They have to be better prepared for this stuff because right now it is a bad problem. And Tampa Bay got screwed out of a touchdown this week. Anyway, my last storyline of the NFL Week 8. I'm not sure what to make of the Colts. Indianapolis is a weird team to me right now. They have a tremendous offensive line. Jacoby Brissett's playing all right. I mean, nothing spectacular, but, you know, playing pretty solid. And then their defense is playing pretty good, too. But why aren't they an elite team? Or at least why don't I consider them an elite team? And I'm not sure why I don't consider them an elite team. Other than they just don't play that well sometimes. And they almost lost to the Broncos and honed it this week. They won 15-13 because they needed Adam Vinatieri to hit a 51-yard field goal to win them the game. And so, I don't know. The Colts are weird to me. They're good, but I'm just really not sure how good they are. Because I feel like they play down to opposition a lot. But they also play up to opposition a lot. A little hard to tell with the Colts right now. What I will say about them, they are certainly looking like a playoff contender, without a doubt. And that's it. That's all I got for NFL Week 8. Coming up in my next segment, I will break down some of the early takeaways from the NHL season. That's only a few weeks old, but still worth talking about, in my opinion. And then, of course, I will have some NBA storylines to break down in the segment following that. For right now, in my music break, just the one song, and it's Wild Cherry, and play that funky music. CMRU.ca, a station by students for you. With over 40 radio personalities and shows, we've got something for everyone. Online, anytime. CMRU.ca, by students for you.
Listening to CMRU.ca by students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and I'm on to my third segment of the day, the NHL. I guess three-ish weeks. Anyway, NHL opening takeaways from the early part of the season, almost a month in now, and so I'll go division by division, just a couple notes about interesting developments early in the season. So I'll start in the Eastern Conference with the Metropolitan Division and the New York Islanders. Right now on a seven-game win streak, they are flying high. Interesting note about them, just, I know the Islanders were good last year, but I feel like they might have been a lot of people's pick to regress a little, but you know what? They've been just as good this year. And again, full credit, the Islanders... Probably don't get enough respect, I think, 
in a lot of NHL circles, but seven in a row, second place right now in the Metro, they're doing pretty good for themselves, I would say so. Brock Nelson, their second-line center, he's been really good. He leads their team in points. Their top line also performing very well so far this season. My second takeaway from the Metropolitan Division, Taylor Hall might be traded. Like, legitimately, he might be traded. Not just, uh, oh, you know, he's rumored. No, he might legitimately leave. The Devils are bad right now. New Jersey has only, granted, they've only played nine games. And again, long way to go. A lot to still happen. But two wins, five losses, two overtime losses. Last place in the East. Not great. And so Taylor Hall is a free agent in the summer. And I know Elliot Friedman has teased an Edmonton Oilers return, which to me sounds silly, but trade could happen for sure. And even if it's not Edmonton, it could be somebody else because Taylor Hall would be very appealing to any contending team that has basically a fraction of cap space. I mean, obviously teams like Toronto and even Calgary and Tampa Bay wouldn't be able to afford it, but I mean, maybe Colorado? Someone like that? I'm not saying it would happen, but I'm not saying it's impossible either. Anyway, that's my second takeaway. Unless there's a turnaround for New Jersey, could be a long season for them and a short one for Taylor Hall on that team. In the Atlantic Division, my couple takeaways. The first one, Buffalo again are starting out really well. Buffalo sit first place in the Atlantic Division, 19 points, 9 wins, 2 losses, and just an overtime loss so far this season. Carter Hutton and Linus Ulmark are a big reason for that. They've both kind of split the duties in goal so far, but both of them have tremendous save percentages, and whether or not they can keep it up is the big question, because Buffalo could not keep up their pace last year, and so whether or not they can this year remains to be seen. My second takeaway, Toronto and Tampa Bay both struggling with consistency. I'm not too worried about these teams, but it's interesting that you have Toronto and Tampa Bay, two teams you thought would be at the top of the Atlantic Division right now, a little up and down throughout the season so far. Again, long way to go. Over time, I do think they will take over in the top spots along with Boston. But interesting, not the start I don't think either one was necessarily hoping for. To the Central Division, my first takeaway, Colorado... Looks as good as advertised. This team was good in the playoffs. They got better, adding Kadri and Donskoy to add to their depth. And despite losing Miko Rantanen, this team is really good. And I'm I'm hoping that Calgary can like avoid them for a little while because I would not want to play this Colorado team anywhere close to the playoffs. My second takeaway, the Dallas Stars. I mean... Not great for them. Similar to New Jersey, just not a good start for them. They're not last place right now, but Dallas are fourth last in the Western Conference. And this is a team that can't afford to be last or can't afford to be near the bottom. This is an older team that's built to win right now. And it's not looking great for the Dallas Stars, to say the least. But we'll see. Again, long way to go. They need their best players to turn it around real fast. Jamie Benn only has one goal on the season. They need more from him and Tyler Sagan in order for them to turn this around. And then the Pacific Division. 
I'll go to the Alberta teams. I'll start up north in Edmonton. As much as it pains me to say this, and it, you know, just hurts my soul, Edmonton's playing really well right now. Not quite as well in the last week or so where they've had some losses, but you know what? The Oilers have gotten off to a fantastic start. They are first place in the Pacific Division. Their goaltending has been great. And Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are on a kind of a ridiculously stupid pace for points at the current moment. I don't think they'll necessarily keep that, but I don't think they'll drop off from that that much either. The key for Edmonton, I think, is really in the goaltending. Right now, Mike Smith and Mikko Koskinen are giving them fantastic goaltending. The question is, and similar to Buffalo, can they keep it up? We'll have to wait and see on that. But for now, Edmonton is certainly happy that it looks like they'll be, at the very least, even if they're not in directly a playoff spot, they'll be in the playoff race for a good chunk of the season, if not the entire season. And then the Calgary Flames. Had an unfortunate loss this weekend in the Heritage Classic, which was really cool. Can I just say the away jerseys for Calgary are awesome? But, I mean, yeah, the Flames, like, I'm not that worried about them. They're kind of in the same spot as Tampa Bay and Toronto right now, where they're treading water, but not really getting anywhere. 6-5-2 and two on the season. And again, you don't really have to be good in the NHL for until, like, December, but... Certainly, I would like to see a little more consistency out of the Calgary Flames. I think their stars need to start scoring more, too. Goudreau has just three goals on the year. Monaghan just has two. Lindholm's been scoring all the goals for them, basically. And so, hopefully, that stuff can get sorted out. And then, obviously, the fourth line, I think, has a long way to go before being figured out. But, of course, it's still very early days. I'm not too worried about the Flames, but interesting from them, where it's kind of like, you know, they've started out, you know, roughly about a 500 team, and so... Hopefully they can improve on that as the season goes on. And again, if their stars can get going, if they can figure out that fourth line, I think they'll be better for it. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got on the NHL stuff. My next song, Pink Floyd and Wish You Were Here. Find something you recognize on cmru.ca. By students, for you.
So you think you could tell Heaven from hell Blue skies from pain Can you tell a green field From a cold steel rail A smile from a veil Do you think you can tell You're listening to Mount Royal University's CMRU.ca, by students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius. Just one last quick segment I want to do quickly on the NBA season. The only reason why I'm not leaving a ton of time for this is just because every team has played either two or three games this season, and so it's not really fair to judge a ton, but early takeaways. So I'll start in the West, Golden State. Wow, that defense is, uh, yeah, 
It's bad. I hope they can turn it around. I like the Warriors a lot. Steph Curry's my favorite player, but Golden State are a little bit of a fire drill on the defensive end so far to start the season. Dallas Mavericks, I want to say, Luka Doncic is unbelievable. He is the real deal. I love watching him play every minute. Doncic is just something else. He really is. And so Dallas are 2-1 and one to start the year. Luka has been on a tear, and I expect it only to continue. I think he has a chance to make the All-Star team, which is saying a lot because the Western Conference is just loaded with stars. Minnesota is surprisingly the team right now in first. I'm not sure if this will stick or not, but credit to the Timberwolves getting off to a good start. Maybe they'll finally live up to the talent they have because Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns are good players. They haven't really played like that, but they're good players. And so maybe this could be the year that Minnesota sneaks into the playoffs as, you know, a lower seed or something like that. And then to the Eastern Conference. Toronto Raptors had a fantastic ring ceremony and championship banner unveiling. Can I just say that? They did a fantastic job. And they gave away replica rings to all the people in the crowd, to all the fans in the stands, which was awesome. Nav Batia, their, how do I call him? Basically their ultimate diehard fan. They gave him an actual championship ring, which is unbelievably A+. And so the Raptors have been pretty, they've been interesting to start the season. They've been pretty good to me. And I think Toronto, I think the biggest thing right now they're struggling with, they're not even really missing Kawhi. I think they're just missing players, if that makes sense. I, th- I don't think they're quite as deep as they need to be right now, where I think their starting five is pretty good. Siakam's stepped up. Fred Van Vliet's playing really good. Of course, you got Kyle Lowry. You got Marcus Gasol. You got Ibaka. But it's like after you get past like the first like seven-ish guys on the Raptors, it's like, wow, you were really scraping at other guys. So I, I think that's that's the key for the Raptors right now. They don't even so much miss Kawhi. They just miss depth, I think, right now in their team. Other takeaway, or my other takeaway, I should say, from the Eastern Conference is Kyrie Irving's going to be fun to watch. I don't know if Brooklyn's actually going to win anything this year. I don't think they will. But... Kyrie is going to be a very fun one-man show, at least for this season, before he gets Kevin Durant back next season. That's it. That's all I wanted to say on the NBA season. I wanted to thank everyone for tuning in today to Moments of Genius. It's so much fun producing my show each and every week. And next week, I have a real treat because this weekend is the second leg of the Canadian Championship Final between local team here in Calgary and the Canadian Premier League Cavalry FC and Hamilton's team for Jeff C. I will be at that game to watch it, and so it should be all kinds of fun. I will break down that game and the final in general. I'll also talk about the Cougars, of course, playing their games in Vancouver. I'll talk about that. And, of course, like I said, NFL halfway point for every team, and so I'll break down each and every team, how their season has gone so far. My final song of the day, Sweet Home Alabama.